This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on bridesmaids and bachelorette parties, children playing on your lawn, potlucks that don't specify that on the invitation, not noisy neighbors being blamed for noise, and how to avoid answering questions about adoption. Plus your most excellent feedback, an etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on notching up your business skills. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I went to a bachelorette party. <laughs> that sounds so etiquette although it sounds sort of fun. It in my mind, like it's etiquette because like, it's wedding-related. But Yeah. My friend Jamie is our bride, and she's getting married next month. Congratulations, and, Jamie. Yeah, it's really fun. I'm really Her, her fiancé is a cool dude, so I'm very happy for her. It's very easy union to support. But all us bridesmaids are based here on the East Coast, and Jamie is in Utah. And so Jamie very graciously offered to fly back home in order to do a bachelorette closer to home for us. So being in Burlington, we went up to Montreal. So jealous. It was so fun. I hadn't been to the city in forever, and it was beautiful. And the gals who organized it did such a good job, and they kept the budget really low and it was a highly successful evening that will remain completely secret for very good reasons. I was say, what'd you do? What'd you do? You oh, got to think of something you could do. Well, you can imagine all the places that we heard about as kids on the radio. You know, you'd hear all the different places up in Montreal advertised. And, talking the nightlife. Yeah, we went up for the nightlife. It was a lot of fun. I'm just saying, it was crazy. Did you have a brunch in the old town or no, the we old part of the city? We did cobblestone streets. No, no, and... no. We were much more in the vein of party on, I would say. <laughs> and it was... Up near the university, McGill. <laughs> we were in Old Montreal, but we also went to St. Catherine Street and, you know, really had fun. <laughs> your lips are sealed clearly. <laughs> and I appreciate your discretion. I'm sure everyone does as well. <laughs> oh, it was a ton of fun. It was a ton of fun. It was, Honestly, the biggest part of it for me was it was a huge relief. I don't know these other women that well. They all know each other, but I knew Jamie from kind of a different part of life. And it was I, – I often get very nervous in those situations. And it was really nice. Everyone was so welcoming and inclusive. It was a really great atmosphere and kind of everyone did a little bit of weightlifting in certain areas. So there was a lot of thank yous to everyone. But the two gals who really like – Booked the hotel, coordinated the spa stuff, like figured out where to go for dinner and out afterwards. Like really, 
They nailed it. <laughs> so good to hear. And awesome. probably sets you up well for a coming wedding. Yes, I think it really does. And that to me was, I remember I was talking with you because I'm on a pretty big work deadline right now. And I was like, Dan, should I go? Should I not go? Should I go? Should I not go? Should I go? Should I not go? And you and I were right in our decision that I should go and bond and it'll make the wedding that much more fun. And I'm, I'm really excited to see these gals again. I'm so glad it all worked out. Thank I took you. having taken that plunge into offered advice in a more personal situation. <laughs> yeah. You always wonder. Uh, no, it was good advice, cuz. It was good advice. I appreciated your advice, and I bet that our listeners would also appreciate your advice. So how about we get to some questions? Let's do it. We have a great way for you to support the show. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of the Awesome Etiquette podcast. All sustaining membership levels come with access to an ads-free version of the show, extra content from us, and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping to keep Awesome Etiquette available. Whether you choose $2, $5, $10, or $20 a month, we are incredibly grateful for your support. We invite you to visit awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. Again, that's awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com and become a sustaining member today. And now, back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. 
Our first question is titled, Bridesmaids on a Budget. Hey, this sounds oddly familiar. Very coincidental that we would get a bridesmaid budgeting question right at the start of the show. I will say it does not come from my group, but it is a good question that a lot of people run up against. Dear Emily Post team, I was recently informed via an email from a friend that I was chosen to be one of her bridesmaids, which, to be honest, was a bit odd and hurtful that she never asked to find out if I could be a bridesmaid. But that's an etiquette question for another day. Yes, it is. Within a few weeks, conversations about bachelorette parties in sunny Caribbean locations were thrown around. I messaged the maid of honor and let her know that I am on a tight budget and gave her the max amount I can spend. Despite this, the maid of honor continued to bandy about expensive party options that seem outside my budget. When attempting to ask for the estimated spend they're looking at per person for the getaway, which includes really expensive airfare, seriously, I can get cheaper flights to Europe, my concerns are brushed away as she continues to plan for what, for me, is a very lavish getaway. I don't even have any getaways planned with my own husband this year because of tight budgets. What can I do? What should I do? I don't want to be the bridesmaid that ruins the bride's plans because I want her to have the best bachelorette party that she can but I also don't want to go deeper into debt to accommodate a trip that I honestly just can't afford. Help, budget-conscious bridesmaid. Oh, budget-conscious bridesmaid. I'm right there with you, by the way. I actually had to raise my hand and say, guys, a trip to Vegas would be outside my my budget and ability. And luckily for me, the rest of the group was was also feeling that type of strain, I would say, when certain trips were being brought up. I mean, we were thinking Vegas because it's so much closer for Jamie and it's really fun and all of that. And at the end of the day, I couldn't take that much time off work. Other folks and I and I couldn't afford the trip also and other folks were in the same situation. I think that you've done the really good first step of letting the organizer know that budget is a consideration for you. You don't have to tell her the actual number that your budget is, but I actually think it's really good that you did. It's informative. It puts it out there that should you choose to go above this, I will not be able to participate. And that's a choice that you want people to be inclusive about. You want them to choose people over price tags, but it doesn't always happen. And I love that Budget Conscious Bridesmaid is saying from the get-go that what she cares about is the bride having the experience that she wants. That's a really great place to focus on Budget Conscious Bridesmaid because you can always bow out of this event. You could. Now that this um, maid of honor is continuing to suggest plans for a lavish trip, explicitly say to her, Rianne, if this is the trip that you are planning, I will not be able to attend. And I want you to be prepared for that ahead of time because I know it could affect the division of cost among the whole group. I think that's really smart because oftentimes you're talking about a block of rooms or sharing rooms and it'll affect the planning to know what those limits are. It's a good way to introduce those cost limits as important information for the co-planning host, the real sort of primary host of this event. Absolutely. There is a third option here, right? I was wondering if you were going to go here. Option one was just simply say, you know, where your limit is and see what happens next. Option two is you're choosing something I can't participate in. I hope you all have a great time, but don't count me in as a financial contribution. And then option number three is a delicate one. And it's really going to depend on the group dynamic and your relationship to the bride. You could 
let the bride know that you want her to have every bridal experience she is looking for. And as a bridesmaid, you will support and encourage her wishes and you will be there day of, weekend of, no problem. But that you will not be able to come on the Caribbean bachelorette trip. Some might see this as a disrespectful to the bridesmaid who's doing the planning because you're circumventing her, but you haven't totally circumvented her. You've already let her know you can't do this. I do think it's important to then let the bride know because while the bridesmaid is organizing this particular event, the bride is the one that is asking you to participate in all of these things. It really, you're doing this for that guest of honor. And I think at some point letting her know that, hey, if we really are going to bite the bullet and do this, I won't be able to participate. I will be supporting you in spirit. I will send you down with a sweet note of encouragement, but I can't be there for this. Um, That that's important. And it might be important enough to the bride who has really just chosen you without even asking you. I'm, I'm noticing the bride may or may not be delicate in this matter. But the bride can then say, wait a minute, Rianne, we need to do something where everyone can participate. But you might need to go to the bride in order for that to even be a possibility. The bride might also just say, oh, I'm so sorry you can't be there. It's going to be so much fun. And then you just say, I'm so sorry too, but you all have so much fun. What do you think, Dee? I like your imagined bride response, even if it sounds a little callous because it keeps the the tone of that conversation really light. And because it is sort of a circumventing of a primary host to the guest of honor. I know. It's so weird. And you don't want it to feel like tattling. I like the way you sort of almost overemphasize your continued to support, your desire to put her and her wishes at the the top. And I think that option so depends on the relationships of all the people involved, sort of in the spirit of open communication. I love the idea. And I it, it occurred to me. So I was, okay, I was so curious when I saw it too. in your okay, show notes. <laughs> I, it, because it is also, it, it tiptoes up to that really awkward territory of almost tattling on a host. Who's, I know. Proceeding in a way, and 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 clearly, you're not the one who's the primary planner here. Right. So you also want to respect that and the work that's going in. But it's also entirely possible someone has these grand visions and they're just getting a little carried away with them. Yeah. And some help restraining those thoughts. My, I'm thinking about your experience yeah. where once you put your hand up, there were a whole bunch of other people who Did maybe do. had already put their hands up, and all of a sudden you were hearing about each other mm-hmm. or who were feeling the same way and just needed that much permission to really open this discussion maybe. up. Yeah. It reminds me that it's so important to communicate. Yeah. That these parties are meant to be fun. Yes, They're meant to serve everybody. They are. And the more you can do to keep that the focus, and sometimes that's about open and candid communications about what's possible yeah. and, and what's going to keep people feeling good. Maybe people can do this, but they don't really want to, yeah. and that's okay also. <laughs> yeah, totally. I also like in your answer your acknowledgement that there are some really important players here besides the host, that the guest of honor is important. You want to center that person, and it might be more important to that person to have their entire circle there yeah. than it is to have it in an incredible location or at a certain venue or whatever it might be. Talk, 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 communicate. <laughs> These traditions are changing and evolving. They are. Bachelor parties used to look like something. Bachelorette parties didn't even really happen so much. Yeah, they're, no, they're newer. It was very different. <laughs> and I, I like this part of the continuing trend of personalization around weddings, yeah. that people are making all kinds of choices. It sometimes makes it a little harder to figure out exactly what to do. But I think the options on the table are so varied, it's likely you're going to find something that works for everyone. Absolutely. Budget-conscious bridesmaid, I really hope 
that what actually ends up happening for you is that your budget limitations are respected. And more importantly, I hope the wedding itself is a phenomenally fun experience for you all. A few thoughtful courtesies ensure the success of this very special evening. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our next question is about children not at play. It begins, Children play in my yard, and I don't even have kids. I live on a corner property in a suburban neighborhood. We have some tall grasses on the corner and some trees along the side. I understand the grasses because they're tempting to hide in. But now these kids have built a snow fort. It's a group of mostly six to eight boys around ages eight to ten. I don't want to be the mean lady. And at the same time, I don't enjoy having my plants trampled in the nice weather and my sidewalk blocked in the snow. I only know a couple of the parents, so I don't even know who the rest of the children belong to to go and address the issue. Do you have any suggestions, Connie? Parenting dad over there? (laughs) My first big suggestion is you are completely within your, not just rights, but you're in the realm of good common sense to not want a group of kids that you don't know playing on your lawn. Yes. I think that is very reasonable and operating from that as a reasonable request, I think makes it pretty easy to reach out to the parents of the kids that you do know and say something. Tell them that you're noticing maybe with more frequency or the particular behavior that you've witnessed recently, kids playing on your lawn, and you would appreciate it if they would ask their kids not to do that. I think that's a, a relatively easy way to go about it. You could even ask them to spread the word, acknowledge that you don't know all of the parents involved, and right. you really appreciate their help if they did spreading the word or talking to the kids that they did know. I also think you're well within reasonable neighbor behavior to say something to the kids when you see them there. I think so, too. And I think that being perceived as a mean lady isn't something you need to worry about if you don't take a mean tone with the kids. Right. You could very easily, when you see those kids, say, hey, guys, unfortunately, playing like that on the lawn actually ends up ruining the flowers. Can I ask you to take it somewhere else? That is a very easy way. And even with the can I ask, that's like you don't have to phrase it that way. You could say, I've got to ask you to take the hide and seek or take the fort somewhere else. Hey, guys, the fort's actually on the sidewalk and we need to keep it off. So I'm I'm going to ask you to, to, to go build a fort in your backyard instead. I'm glad everyone's having (laughs) such a good time. Yeah, like encourage play. That's always a good way to go. I'd like to ask you to take it back to one of your yards. Yes, absolutely. Another thing when dealing with parents, it's really easy for parents to get defensive quickly. You want your kids to be able to run and play in the neighborhood. And of course, you usually understand 
that playing on someone else, like I, Dan, if if this was Anisha in the neighborhood, like Dan would just be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We will definitely talk to her and let her know about people's yards and boundaries and things like that. Right? No problem. Even in the woods of Vermont, right? growing up, I had a very keen awareness of when I property crossed lines. onto someone else's property or property lines, and who was completely okay with you crossing their woodlots, and who you had to take more care with, or just not do it or because they hunt on their property so you have to be careful i mean there's a lot of reasons why kids are very aware of the of the property boundaries that they can operate in and while we often give the advice not to discipline other people's kids mm-hmm. and this is not a case where you're disciplining you're no. not deciding a punishment no you're no. you're you're establishing boundaries and that's that's important for kids and kids need to hear those boundaries from neighbors as mm-hmm. well as from parents and you're my my first suggestion was to be willing to talk to the parents as well yeah because i think that that's an important part of living together in a neighborhood but it's also okay to start to establish some of those relationships with those neighborhood kids to the extent that you're comfortable doing it i want to offer up some sample language for talking to the parents just because that can be delicate and it's nice to have something to turn to i would really keep it in the positive space of love that the kids are playing you're probably not aware would love your help in encouraging them to do this elsewhere. You don't like even just using encourage them to play elsewhere as opposed to discourage them from play on my lawn is one of those ways that we're taking the negative and framing it in the positive. Um, So I might say something like, I live just down the corner. If they don't know who you are, you want to introduce yourself and explain where where your house is. If they do know who you are, you could say, I'd, I'd love to ask a favor or for your help with something. I noticed the group of boys your son is part of have a habit of playing hide and seek on the corner of my lot in the summer or, you know, building a snow fort on, on the lot in the winter. They sure seem to have a lot of fun. And I really want to encourage that just not on my lawn. In the summer, it unfortunately damages the flowers and the grass and the snow fort ends up blocking my my view as I try to back out of the driveway or it blocks the sidewalk, whatever the problem is. Would you be willing to help encourage the boys to not play on my lot but move the forts and hiding games to another space? That's the kind of, you know, could you help me with this? Because Dan's right. We as homeowners are absolutely allowed to say, you're on my property and you cannot be. I'm allowed to tell you that. But asking for that help and encouragement and stating that you love that the kids are playing and that this is a good, positive, healthy neighborhood you're a part of is a good thing. Because let's face it, kids playing hide and seek and building snow forts is like really great to hear about. <laughs> I like this idea so much better than suggesting something like new fences or <laughs> increased curtilage, sort Those of options, hedges that yeah. define boundaries and borders. Oftentimes the aesthetic and urban neighborhoods is that front lawns are open spaces. They almost have this feel of a connected park. Some places there are yeah. fences between yards, but many places the the whole aesthetic and architecture of the landscape is designed to not have fences. Encourage not have the blocking. feel of these being open shared spaces and that yeah. is a nice feel and it's it's nice to continue that tradition in neighborhoods. It's also important to share that there are boundaries even if they're not so easy to see all the time. Connie, we hope this helps, and I hope you feel positive and confident about protecting your turf. And what about you? If you had been in this situation at the beginning, would you have stopped to think about the damage you might cause to other people's property? Our next question is titled, Party Oh Ands, as in like, oh, and could you? <laughs> this question begins, I have seen this more than once before, and I just think it is rude. Am I wrong? 
You receive a birthday invitation, and you reply that you will come, and then later you receive a request to bring an appetizer from the host. I am bringing a gift. I feel that the person hosting the party for her friend should do just that and host the party, not ask you to bring an appetizer after you said you would come. It's almost like now I don't want to go because I have to bring an appetizer and that wasn't part of the deal when I said I would come. There's a really cute smiley face after that, like an emoji smiley face. (laughs) I am planning on just stopping in for probably one hour. The party doesn't start till 7, so there is no dinner provided. If every guest has to bring an appetizer, what's the host doing? (laughs) Decorating the garage where I heard the party will be held? Mary. You know, we all have these moments, Mary, and my head has definitely had, like, that type of tone and confusion and just like, really? Like, come on, guys. If we're going to host, let's host. Like, make this nice for people. But the reality is this doesn't always happen this way. And not everyone is able to host and provide everything. But the etiquette point that I think Mary is getting at is that You need to be explicit from the get-go that you're going to be hosting something like a potluck. And I think she's right. I think that when you send out an invitation where you are going to be asking people to contribute and it's a celebration where we're honoring someone and giving gifts, that it's probably a really good idea and very considerate to your guests' financial and uh, timing needs as they prep for this event to let them know this is a potluck baby shower. This is a potluck birthday event. This is really important because then from the get-go, you could say, boy, I, I, I am happy to send a card or do a gift, but I can't prepare things. I'm not able to do this right now. Like it, it, The buy-in. It's the buy-in. You're, you're looking at the etiquette point here, yeah. and I find myself thinking Help etiquette me, is about social expectations. It is. And you've created one social expectation. You've started to build it with this invitation, then right. all of a sudden you're shifting onto another yes. rail or track with a follow-up and it's that that shifting of the expectation the moving of the goalpost that almost feels unfair somehow you start to say this isn't the game i thought we were playing that's what i love the line about this isn't the deal i signed up for i'm like totally it's not and it's not an unreasonable deal of the garage hosted birthday party as i start to hear more about this event it starts to sound like a more casual open affair maybe it's for someone in the neighborhood we're talking about neighbors and being good neighbors or it's a party that isn't going to be a dinner party so the host isn't isn't necessarily building that level of expectation or maybe they started to with the way that first invitation happened and with the way other details about the party have started to emerge they're also starting to shift the the goalposts on our expectations totally. in other ways, and it starts to feel like a growing wave like, of change. Come on. We have gotten many different versions of this question over the years. One oh, of the yeah. funniest questions that I ever took via phone call at the Emily Post Institute was somebody who was really bothered that they were being asked to bring a particular fruit salad. Yes. They had Someone agreed. Someone like sent a recipe, right? It's like the host actually said, and use this recipe. <laughs> and then they wanted these particular fruits in the fruit salad. And it had just gotten to a point where it was just too much. And this person was really bothered, really upset. And it was stressing family relationships. And I, that that particular question came to mind when I read, read this, this one. one. I think it's okay to make these asks. I think you have to be really careful with how you do it. I like your idea of including it in the invitation. Mm -hmm. If you're making an ask after that invitation has been accepted, acknowledging that it's a bit of a – I don't want to say outside the bounds ask, but that you you are – 
asking a favor, not putting another expectation on the table might be a way to introduce this. And also pay attention how often you do this or whether this is part of a cascade Mm -hmm. of other things that are happening as you start to feel a party gets away from you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think these are all things to keep in mind as a host. doesn't help our guest here so, so much. I know. But my advice here really starts to focus on the host because I do agree with our question asker that this isn't great behavior. No, this isn't the way that you should go about it. It's it's a way that it often happens, but um, I think that it's it's really it, – it is important to get that this is going to be a potluck or, you know, we were thinking about having everyone bring a dish. Do you want to come over Friday night? Even in a casual type of invitation, getting that idea that it's going to be a everyone contributes thing out front is really, really important. I saw this done really well. For my friend Bree's baby shower, I received the invitation to the baby shower and inserted into the invitation was a note that said, the food for this event is completely covered. However, we know folks really love to contribute. If you are so inclined to want to bring a dish, email and then it gave the organizers email and name. That way they can prepare for the amount of food and the dishes that are going to be showing up. And I thought that was a very classy way to make the invitation, which was not a potluck invitation from the get-go, have an element of, of course, we as the hosts are taking care of everything. But if you wanted to contribute, because we, you know, in Burlington, I mean, we are a very potluck community. It's like, it's hard to get people to not bring things. And I liked that play and that kind of extra space for both things to happen. Mary, I really hope, Dan, let me correct that. We really hope that this helps and that you receive more invitations that are clear from the get-go. Well, the purpose of a party is to have fun together. And a successful party needs planning and skill. Plan for refreshments and entertainment. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This next question is about noises off. Dear Dan and Lizzie, Thank you for your wonderful podcast. It has filled many a commute with thoughtful and considerate advice regarding how to approach real-life situations, and I love applying your techniques towards making my life more pleasant and enjoyable. I do have a situation that I'm interested in your take on. My partner and I recently moved into a new rental apartment. As I write this, we've literally spent two nights here, which gives you a sense of why this is such a conundrum for us. The building has a concierge and an on-call building manager, We're still trying to figure out the full scope of each one's responsibilities. Last night at around 9.30, again, our first night in the apartment, (laughs) the concierge appeared at our door to advise us that a noise complaint had been filed against us. We later received by email a copy of a written complaint, which asked us to be mindful not to walk heavy and fast-paced on the floor, to be mindful of our TV music volume. The neighbor acknowledges that we have just moved in at the beginning of the letter. Don't get me wrong. I am completely sympathetic to the problem of inconsiderate, noisy neighbors. 
But the problem here is we're not that noisy. Oh, no. One of us was in the apartment alone for most of the evening doing little except cataloging old vinyl records. I can't imagine that makes that much noise. The TV was on at a moderate volume, and the show was not some loud guns-blazing action movie, but a mystery drama. When the partner arrived, we spent maybe 20 minutes walking around in our socks figuring out where to place certain things, but not actually moving anything across the floor. We fear that this does not bode well for our relationship with this neighbor, if he or she is willing to go to management on literally our first night there. Obviously, we intend to be mindful of any noise that may come from our apartment, and we will be putting down some rugs soon, but we cannot live in an apartment where the very act of walking may draw a noise complaint. While there is some part of us that wants to make nice, maybe deliver a nice gift, explain our moving in, and curry friendship, Another part really wants to tell this person that if he's that sensitive to noise, he really ought to be out of our large metropolitan area or at least away from any non-top floor of an apartment complex or by a white noise machine. Do you have any suggestions for how to deal with this situation, whether preemptively or when the next issue arises? Maybe one of those wonderful Lizzie Post sample scripts. <laughs> Thanks so much. This is really funny because I actually I look to Dan on this. Dan, you rule this territory, this arena, this this field. I know it mentions my sample scripts, but but you are the master of absorbing someone else's anger and returning inquisition earnestly. And I don't know if you're just a really good actor or what, but you will say things like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize this. And then you'll like, whatever it is, is like a totally norm. I did not realize that walking around in socks was going to create that kind of volume. Oh, my goodness. We have a real problem here. Um, And then you do things like you calmly state your experience and you're like, you know, we were sitting on the floor just cataloging records and there was a quiet drama on. Oh, I'm very concerned about this. How can we fix the salute, the, the situation so that it's okay for everybody? It's like you have this wonderful way of explaining how actually everything you're doing is in perfect stead and like, and good behavior, but you very courteously and genuinely, that's the difference, offer up. I mean, I tease you about acting, but like it, it's the genuineness. It really diffuses the other person to be like, uh, Okay, so he's saying this is a problem, but he's confused by the problem because his own behavior isn't showing it. It's a very open place to come from that still, I think, shows and protects the experience that you, Dan, or our question asker would be having. So, Dan, um, take it away. <laughs> this is such a tricky question. And I love that you're instantly wanting to to ask how to not respond with anger <laughs> because it, uh, it, yeah. there is that feeling oh, here. Yeah. Of, I would be so ticked off if this had happened to me. This is my first night. Like, really, dude? First night. You're new to the neighborhood. <laughs> there could be all kinds of things going on that you might or might not be aware of. This might be the most difficult person in the building. Yep. There might be a long history of... The person who used to live in your apartment being terrible, Mm -hmm. being the neighbor that everybody just couldn't wait till they were out and gone because it really was a problem. Or it could have been that that this apartment that you're occupying has been vacant for like a long time and therefore they're not used to any noise. There could be a building manager who over amplifies and responds to complaints in a way that makes them sound worse than they are because they like to exercise their power. There, there are 
all a, a lot of things that could be going on here, and it's it's such a shame that this is your experience of your first night in a new place. I am also seeing your willingness to be a little self-reflective, to think, well, what was there anything that we were doing? Could it have been? And in my cousin's response, I also hear a willingness to think about the particular – maybe a TV at half volume in this apartment. Maybe the floors are really thin. Maybe there's a particular air vent that means that everything that happens in this room or this part of this room – is immediately projected or even amplified into an apartment right below. You're going to learn. It's it's a shame that there wasn't a little more breathing room for that learning to happen and yeah. that this came in the form of a written complaint. I think part of my tendency in a situation like this is to take a deep breath. And I, I said tread lightly <laughs> as an intentional bad joke. But, but it's I, a good tip. <laughs> but I also think it's a good way to proceed because you want to be careful with all these relationships, your relationship to your neighbors, both the ones that issued the complaint and others, the building manager, the concierge, as you figure out this web of relationships. What is this complaint process really about? Is it just a way that people – a term I don't like, vent? <laughs> um, is it? Is it – I've been in towns where the front porch forum, the mm-hmm. email exchange in the community is sort of acrimonious and a place where people just say whatever they want. Other places it's really intended to work towards solution. Is Good there a point, Dan? A consequence of multiple complaints come in about you, and mm-hmm. is that something that's worth knowing? What are the politics of the situation? Part of my advice yeah. is pay attention to those politics yeah. because they do matter in some buildings. But also approach your neighbors in that spirit of friendship. And I, 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 I liked your imagining yourself in my position, Lizzie Post, <laughs> and and trying to think about how to absorb that, not respond in yeah. anger, and be inquisitive. Yeah, and. Part of your inquisitive reply very well might have to do with an acknowledgement that you really didn't feel like what you were doing was that obtrusive and you're really curious about how it was perceived by that yes. person. That might be a way to open up that particular dialogue in a way that moves towards resolution. Well, and I think two things to think about. One is that we aren't always aware of the impact that we have. And you're walking around in socks. If you are fairly heavy footed, I am just going to raise my little hand right now and say that could be loud enough to really be problematic. And it's I don't want to say just to use Dan's joke again, treading lightly is really important. But believe it or not, like that might be something that does have to change a little bit in your own behavior. You might have to be a little lighter footed in order to be socked in your apartment. Is socked a word that doesn't mean getting punched in the face? Do you have socked feet? Knitters, help me out. (laughs) Stockinged feet? It's definitely worth considering and worth being self-reflective about. But one of the other things you might want to do is ask this neighbor if it would be all right if you actually came down to their apartment and had your partner upstairs walking around and turning the volume to different levels just so that you can understand, not to prove whether or not it's this or that, but to find the levels, to find that TV volume that's an okay volume that doesn't get heard. You're going to know really quickly if the problem is, okay, the volume's on five and we can't audibly hear it in the apartment, but you say you can hear it down below. That's a problem. Like, you know, you might be able to hear just how loud your partner's footsteps are. And I would suggest having both of you give a listen to that. Just it's that kind of proof of willingness to self-correct that I think is important. And you can approach that lightly and, as Dan said, in a very curious way. I'm curious what it sounds like. Would it be all right if I came down and gave a listen just so that we know where to be putting our levels out and what to be considering in terms of the noise we make upstairs? 
These are the solution-oriented versions. If the other person isn't willing to participate, then it's time that you go to management and have management come up and, and listen and hear that the volume is at a fine volume, that you are walking around in your socks, and then management will be the one to tell the other neighbor, you're just going to have to deal with this. This is what it sounds like having someone live in the apartment above you. Well, I think one of the reasons it's so hard not to respond with anger is that it feels like someone's putting a marker down saying, I, I want to establish right from the get-go that I have limits and that I'm willing to do this. Yeah. There, there, There is a little bit of that feel to how quickly this all happened. Their willingness to do this so quickly definitely tells me that you're going to want to take some care with this relationship because they're probably going to do this again. There's probably going to be some future engagement that's going to be required. Part of my tactic here would also be a little bit of patience, that if you find out that these types of warnings or complaints between people in different buildings don't result in any action against you, you might just be patient to see how long it takes for this to happen again. And it might not happen again anytime soon. If it does keep happening, you're going to need to know what your recourses are. You're going to need to know whether it's going to work to approach your neighbor with honey or whether you're going to need to know what your your rights are and your standing is within the association, within your relationship to that concierge and building manager. A concluding piece of advice that I'd like to offer is to relax and enjoy your new apartment. That This is just one neighbor and you don't want their actions on your first night there to ruin your experience of the whole building or your new place. That you will find a reasonable solution and reminding yourself of that will let you approach whatever happens between now and finding that reasonable solution is with that open spirit that's going to be most likely to resolve it well for everyone. New neighbor, good luck dealing with this situation and good luck getting that record collection organized. I know that can be an endless task. Oh, yes. (laughs) Those are some of the important ways we help keep our room quiet. Thank you, children. Now, let's get into work. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next question is titled, Avoiding Answers About Adoption. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I'm a longtime listener and enjoy the podcast. I listen while I'm at work. I have a question that's really more of a topic. My husband and I are in the process of adopting an infant. Congratulations! We had a long struggle with infertility before we came to the decision to adopt. We've been fairly open about the process with our close family and friends who know our journey. But sometimes the questions they ask can be very intrusive in nature. I know that these questions are usually coming from a place of genuine interest and care, but we're both getting tired of giving the same responses. Also, we know that this could become more of an issue in the future as our child ages, especially if the child looks different from us and people start asking our child questions. There are some things that deserve to be kept private. Any suggestions on how to guide the conversation? Thanks. Danielle. Danielle, thank you for your question. It gives us an opportunity to really emphasize that Anything that's about your private life and your adoption story and your child's adoption story 
is something that you can think of as part of your private life really is yours. And you get to decide how you share it and how much detail you want to go into and how you want to even talk about or frame that discussion. And you can have the parts of that story that you're comfortable sharing and you can let people know what those are. And then you can also guide conversation back into topics that you're really more comfortable being open about and letting someone else take the lead. This happens in lots of different places in our lives, and especially when changes are happening and you're going to be bringing a child into your life, and that's a big change. So people want to be supportive, and they're also going to want to get to know this child and the history and the story. It's all, it does come from a place of of genuine interest and curiosity and usually support. Um, But we live in a society where we we tend to encourage people to put everything out there and that just doesn't always have to be and when i remember when dan you were handling anisha's story and her personal medical history and we had so many listeners who were so supportive and curious about what was happening with anisha and more detail about what was happening with anisha and so many of those very same readers wrote in and said Dan handled this so elegantly. He really both gave people information and um, appreciated their concern and compassion, and yet also explained why there were portions of, of the tale that were going to remain private, because they're about his daughter's private life, and she is a, an infant who doesn't get to speak up and say, I want that to be private. Oh, no, I'm okay with sharing this. Your reasons for adopting... And the reason your child was able to be adopted are completely private. And that might be stories that you as a a unit share with each other. It might be things that your child discovers later about their history. And it's just up to you as parents to determine when and how that happens and what's going to be best for your child. Given that, there are going to be moments where you are sharing things about your adoption story or you're sharing things about being a parent. And then someone asks a question that goes too far. And I really think it's kind in the those moments to give someone the benefit of the doubt and and not to assume that they had nefarious or uh, rude reasons for wanting to do this or or that they should have known better because a lot of the times we just don't and instead to simply let them know they've hit a boundary that you're not willing to talk about you could simply say I'm not comfortable sharing that piece of our story, but I am so excited for you to get to know little Leanne. You know, that's something that we might share later on, but right now we're keeping that information private, and I really thank you for understanding that. I remember it with a friend who had later in life chosen to be in a same-sex relationship, and this was a new experience for her. And she was really excited to talk with me about it, and we were having great conversations sharing this new part of her life. And I remember asking a question, but it was about her partner's experience with this part of her partner's life. And and it really was amazing because my friend said to me, you know, that's really her story. And so I'm not going to comment on it. And I loved it because it woke me up and reminded me that I had just asked third party information about someone who wasn't present. And it gave my friend a really easy way for her to not say, oh, my gosh, that's so rude. Or how dare you ask that? Look at what you do for a living. You should know better. It was actually that's not my story to tell. 
And so I'm not going to share that story. And I love that moment in my life because it really has carried over well to other moments when it comes to asking questions that might be too personal. And it's it was a good balance. Dan, you're smiling like crazy on the other side of the mic. What's up? I like the self-reflection. And oh. I, like, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I like the idea that you really try to do your best to keep in mind that the other person didn't mean to do what they did that was bothersome. And it might even be that the question itself isn't particularly rude, but you've just heard the same question oh, gosh, yeah. again and again and again and again. And for them, it's just the obvious next question. And for you, it's that obvious next question that seems to be the obvious next question for just about every person that you run into. And keeping that good nature about you in those moments is really difficult. And <laughs> the, the best advice that I can give is when you're feeling okay about it and in those moments where it isn't happening, remind yourself what is the story that you tell when you get asked that question and make a game out of how you deal with it. Do something within yourself <laughs> that allows you to keep a good spirit about it. And maybe it's that you vary that reply a little bit, that you use this reply and you let it move and change. You set that boundary at slightly different places. You you, you never go into territory that you're not comfortable with, but that you give yourself the permission to not just be rote in the reply that you give. And you sort of see what that what those subtle differences in response might look like. Craft that version that you like. And if it becomes stale, mix it up. Do the best that you can to keep that moment alive within yourself, even if it feels like it's being killed by repetition. And know that you can always go to that place of setting boundaries kindly and positively and thanking people for their interest. If you feel grateful for the interest, also don't feel you have to add that thank you if you don't. But the idea is that you're trying to recognize that this person wants to connect with your child. We wish you the best on the start of this new journey. Congratulations. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Our first piece of feedback comes in about episode 185, where we talked about people photographing engagement rings as their announcement photo on social media. One listener wrote in with a great perspective. I really, really loved this. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I just wanted to send a quick response as I was listening to episode number 185 about posting photos of the engagement ring on social media. I actually am one of those women who posted a photo of the ring on Facebook as an announcement though I did do it as the main photo in a collage. Ah. I just wanted to lay out the reasons I made the choice to share that image in particular since some of them weren't touched upon. Reason number one, a lot of my family does not live anywhere near me, and I wanted them to feel just as included in the moment as the ones that do. If you think about it, what's the first thing most friends or relatives rightly or wrongly ask when you say you're engaged? Oh my goodness, let me see the ring. Not only did I get a lot of this from my extended family once the announcement was made, but they also eventually wanted pictures of the dress, the shoes, the location of the wedding, while we were scouting, etc. Reason number two. 
At the time we got engaged, after two years of dating, my now husband and I actually did not have a lot of photos of us as a couple. We have two adorable dogs, and though we took massive amounts of photos of them together, <laughs> we had maybe a handful of photos of us together, all of which were included in the collage. Ah. Neither of us love taking photos of ourselves, so it would actually have felt weirder to me to take a posed photo of us to share than to share the ring. One last thought. My engagement ring was 100% fake. My husband spent maybe 40 to $80 on it on purpose. I didn't want a real diamond ring. I told him that ahead of time. I'm not a fan of expensive jewelry, and as a millennial couple struggling to save money we were making at the time, I wanted the money we had saved to go to the wedding location, the actual wedding rings that we will wear forever, and the honeymoon. Did others think the ring was real? It's possible, but in my eyes, a picture of the ring is not at all a display of wealth. It's just a symbol everyone will instantly recognize and be able to celebrate. All that being said, I love the thoughts you shared during your response to the question. I just thought I'd share the perspective of someone who had actually done it. I love it, and I am so grateful that you did share your perspective. I love the comment about um, everyone getting to see the ring. That is something that people ask a lot. I think that's really thoughtful. I loved the comment about not having photos of yourselves. But the dogs. I mean, how many people write in telling us that they don't want photos taken or that they're shy about having their photo taken, they're uncomfortable about having their photo taken? Of course, taking a picture of the ring then, like, completely, it, it as we said in the, in, in the show, you know, this is a symbol of, you know, this great adventure you're about to embark on. And so it's very commonly what people go to. And I hadn't thought of it doubling as it takes the pressure off the couple to be in that photo. And then I also just love just the reminder, hey, hey, don't assume that ring is real. Like, thank you so much for this perspective. I love being able to add it to the mix and make sure that this perspective and voice is heard as well. All three of these perspectives. (laughs) Our next piece of feedback is in response to episode 187, and it comes from Sarah, and it is about our gifting tips. Good morning, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a huge fan of your show and tell many people about it. I wanted to add one thing. On episode 187, Lizzie mentioned keeping a running gift list to keep your gift giving organized. I'd like to add that another reason this is helpful is it allows you to keep your eyes open for deals, specials, and coupons on the items you've written down to get as gifts. Personally, my family teases me because I ask my nieces and nephews for their birthday wish lists three months in advance. I don't care, though, because it allows me to create a win-win scenario. For example, my niece wanted a doll that was higher than my price range. I checked on the doll's price weekly, waited until it was on sale, and then bought it within my price range a little more than two months early. Win-win! smiley face. My niece got the item she wanted and I got it within my price range. Another thing that I've done, I wanted to get my friend a spa gift card for her birthday and the spa was offering a promotion to purchase discounted gift cards for Mother's Day. So I figured why not buy it in May for the July birthday gift? Just my two cents, Lizzie, as the advice you gave is even more helpful than just for organizing your gift giving. Your grateful and deal-seeking listener, Sarah. I love this. Sarah, I've got to tell you, I took Lizzie's advice after hearing this postscript also. You did not. I found myself out walking around. (laughs) I was one of my favorite stores on Church Street in Burlington. I think I've mentioned Simon Pierce on this show before. Oh, yeah. 
And down at their factory store in Quichi, they have a seconds and a discontinued line section. And just on a thought, I walked into the Burlington store and said, do you have any of your seconds or discontinued lines? And they they did. And I was really pleasantly surprised. And their discontinued lines, you can sometimes get like a single piece, a single vase or something. that You don't need to get it as part of a set of tableware. And it's a really good deal. And I found myself (laughs) in Simon Pierce because I walked in to check on a deal for just the reason that you mentioned. And... Lucy Post, thank you for that postscript. (laughs) It was really helpful. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates, and please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript was selected by Wizzy Post, <laughs> and it's about business etiquette. And it's from our business etiquette book, The it, Etiquette Advantage of Business. It is. We often talk about taking things one notch up, and I just – I love that idea of kind of – there's the baseline courtesy that we need to do. But then there are these things that we want to also be aware of, watch out for. And so I poured through our book, The Etiquette Advantage in Business, and selected some of the tips from that book. Our first tip, and this is one I think is pretty darn classy, is that when your uh, receptionist or greeter calls to say that your visitor has arrived at the building or at the complex, whatever, wherever it is that you work, go and greet the visitor at the entrance rather than having them sent or escorted to your office. Now, some companies, there will be security issues that make that difficult, but going to greet someone in the lobby or in that front entrance is always the classiest move. Our next tip has to do with the fact that you never know when someone is going to be promoted. And because you never know when a colleague will get promoted and become your boss or manager, treating folks with respect, no matter the pecking order, ensures you build a good relationship, no matter what the dynamics are between you currently. <laughs> How they might change. <laughs> we hear about this all the time. And we do. another aspect of this that happens is sometimes the person who's promoted is you. Right. And you want to maintain really professional relationships with people that you work with because it's entirely possible that people will be reporting to you one day and you don't want to have too familiar a relationship or a relationship where you've exposed things about yourself that are going to make that relationship difficult to manage. Our third tip is that it's really easy to be caught in a moment where you don't know something and you're worried that you will look foolish. We all have those moments happen to us, but it's better to be upfront from the get-go than pretend to know something that you don't. I'd have to look into that more and get back to you. I'm not quite up to speed on this. Could you fill me in? Or I'd be happy to do the research and get back to you. My apologies for not being ready at hand. That kind of language is so much better than, oh, sure, I've got that, when you really don't. That consideration, respect, and honesty framework is so helpful. Never forget to hold yourself ruthlessly and scrupulously accountable to that standard of honesty. Our next tip has to do with when things don't go so smoothly. When a meeting participant is interrupting frequently with questions and comments, look at it as an opportunity to show your grace under pressure. Their behavior is noticed by others. Keep your cool. Address what you can. Take control when you can by asking questions and 
if worse comes to worse, ask that comments be saved for the end or for a time where it would be more appropriate to address them. You will look so good by handling a difficult situation smoothly. Our final tip is that sending a handwritten note for business outings like a morning of fishing, a round of golf, a game of tennis, going to some sporting event together. It's not just good business etiquette. It's good everyday etiquette. And showing that you are aware that these types of events are special, that they offer you an access to conversations and time and um what am I looking for, Dan? Here, the building. building, relationship building. There we go. Thank you. Um, the relationship building aspect, um, and really placing your gratitude on those things, really shows you know how to step things up a notch. I like this idea of notching it up, and a handwritten note is a great way to notch things up. We hope those basic thoughts help, and definitely, I'd be curious to hear any other ideas that any of you have for good ways to notch up professional relationships. You'll be working in an office. Well, don't forget, the golden rule works there, just as it does anywhere else. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Dan, who do we have today? Today we hear from Jacob. Hello, my newfound friends. I recently switched to a mail-order pharmacy and ran into a tight spot. I was scheduled to get my medicine before I ran out, but it was going to be delivered the day I was going to take my last dosage, cutting it close. The order was processed through UPS, not USPS, and the package was attempted to be delivered later in the day. The pharmacy knew that I was not often able to get my packages the day they are delivered due to my doorman setup. Even with the pharmacy knowing, I ended up missing this delivery. When I got home and saw the tag that the package had been attempted to be dropped off, I called the pharmacy. They did something I would never have asked or even thought they would suggest. They contacted a local delivery service, paid at no additional cost to me for that local service to go find the truck that had my package, take it from the driver, and bring it to me. I was floored. I have never had a company go out of the way like this before. This wasn't even a life-saving medicine either, so hats off to them. Thank you, Jacob. And thank you to them. It no is so kidding. nice when people go that extra mile. I was recently in a situation where someone offered to use their triple A to help my brother out who didn't have triple A. And I was saying to myself, yep. it's doable, but I've, you just don't think someone's no. going to do it. And when people do those little things, it is etiquette salute worthy. Thank you for sharing, Jacob. Thank you to everyone for listening, and thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And check out our new website, etiquettedaily.com. Help us out. Become a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thank, Thank you, you, Chris. Chris.